they do adoration every morning after Mass. And I would go in there and I would sit. And at first it just started looking at Jesus. Because, you know, they, he had told me he was there. And I believed it. I kept coming back. And so every day I would come and then I'd walk out and he'd say, well, what do you think? And I'd say, well, I think I'll just come back tomorrow. And I did that every day until I started to talk to Jesus. Because Jesus in the Eucharist, it's the greatest gift we've ever gotten. But he's really there. And I started telling him everything. I, and I would, I would say each day I would go and I would tell him some horror that I had experienced that was just overwhelming. And I would ask him to heal it. And then I would leave feeling better. And then every day it would be that way. Welcome to the I Am Here podcast, a space to be inspired by stories of men and women who have found in the Eucharist the strength and purpose for their lives. I'm your co-host, Leah Butalid, and I've been gathering stories for the I Am Here campaign. And I'm Father Mario Amore, a priest of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and today we welcome Valerie Powell to share her story. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining welcome, us, Valerie. Valerie. We're so glad to have you. Uh, Valerie, to get to know you a little more, what's your home parish? I go to Assumption Grotto in Detroit. Beautiful. Excellent. And what do you do? Do you are you working these days or uh, caring for family? Yeah, I had um, been working in mental health. Okay. My husband is a stroke victim, so I take care of him. And then during COVID, my mother was a dementia patient, and she fell and broke her hip. So I ended up leaving my job to take care of her. So she's since passed, and so now I give my extra time to Assumption Grotto. And then I take care of my husband. So I didn't go back into the work yet. Well, it's a very beautiful vo vocation that you have as a caregiver. You know, the Lord using you and and just just your heart to to be there for others in their time of need. So uh, we give thanks to God for that and and for all those people out there who are just like you. Yeah, wonderful. And um, Valerie, you shared such a beautiful story with us on IamHere.org. Thank you again for being willing to share what the Lord has done in your life um, and just the ways he has blessed you and um, brought you into this deep intimacy with him. You've gone through a lot and you shared about um, just some of the ups and downs of your life. Can you um, take us kind of back to the beginning, uh, your upbringing? What was, um, what was growing up like and what role did your faith play? in your life at that time. So as a child, back in the 70s, we had a catechism at lunch. So we would leave school, go across the street for catechism, and then go back to school. But we really didn't practice a faith at home. It was just one of those things that everybody did. So um, my mother couldn't drive. My dad was working constantly. Mm -hmm. So we never went to church. And so I went through um, the catechism classes. I got confirmed and then nothing. So um, it's hard to talk about this, but when I was a child, I was abused. I never told anybody. Actually, I didn't tell anybody until I started coming back to the church, and then I, I got help and um, realized that some of my journey, journey might have been because of what I had, done, had been involved in and mm -hmm. was so scared to talk about. So there was some trauma there. Um, by the time I was in seventh grade, I was doing LSD. Um, I had maintained such good grades that nobody would have known that I had this almost like an alternate ego. Um, by the time I was in ninth grade, I was practicing alchemy. I had found the occult, and I was literally 
transmuting energy as a child. So I lived this lifestyle until I got married. And when I got married, one of my daughters was having some problems. Um, she seemed to be seeing things. She was only 18 months old, so what could she possibly have been seeing? Well, we took her and they did all the tests and said, well, she's really seeing something. And considering what I had been involved in, um, I actually ran to the Catholic Church. I was in my 20s and um, I became Catholic again. I had a beautiful priest who helped me. He helped me to get off drugs at that time. He he just helped me all the way. I mean, I was actually I was actually doing surgery at that time. I worked in surgery. And I was actually known as the abortion lady. I was the one that they would call when they needed to schedule an abortion in this office. It was and it, I didn't like it, but I didn't realize I mean, I, I did, but I didn't realize how bad it was. So this priest, he not only got me off drugs and he got me um, out of that job, but he helped me to be able to be in full union with the church and get my, my, my marriage blessed. And so I actually stayed in the church until about, that was, that was 1993 when I came to the church. And then I, I left again, it was 2014 when things started to change and my family got sick and I started to uh, it was 2012 actually when my husband had his first stroke mm. I had to go back to work and I was struggling because I was giving the better portion of myself to a job that I really disliked and so then my then my family got sick and my dad died and I was getting bitter my the reason I had converted the first time or come back to the faith was not for any of the right reasons can you comment a little bit on, in that moment, um, like you said, there perhaps there wasn't the the great conversion, but you know, in all things, we can see that the, the seeds of our our Catholic faith are, are planted. Um, and so, do you remember, like, what what was it that that made you go back to the church at that point? So my daughter had been seeing things. We had just gone all the tests. I was not sleeping at night. I was trying to do surgery during the day. Um, I wasn't. I was on the team for office surgeries. I was struggling, and I got in my car that day, and I was so, I was so depressed. I threw my hands up in the air and said, "Jesus, if you're real, you got to do something because I can't do this anymore." And at that moment, I heard in my head, "Go back to the beginning." I'm like, "What does the beginning mean?" I mean, it was like, "What does this mean?" So, okay, I went back to my childhood church. I thought this is the beginning and so I sat in the parking lot and then I saw there were cars there it was midday so you're like what are all these people doing at a church in the middle of the day so I got out of my car and I went in and there just happened to be a priest in a confessional and like four people in a pew and so I sat down I didn't know what I was doing I didn't know what I was gonna say I didn't but I just did it because this is the beginning and when I got in the confessional I tried to confess and oh, missed everything because I had there were so many bad things I had been doing. And so um, he told me it was Holy Thursday. And I'm like, it didn't mean anything to me at that time. I, I didn't know what that was. And so he said, for penance, I need you to come to church on Sunday. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I, I don't remember a lot, but isn't that required? 
And he said, well, what would you have me give you? And I said, well, how about a rosary for all the years I was away? He goes, you're going to do that here now? I said, I don't even know how to do it. (laughs) But I'll get it in. So I did. I I went to my mother, who had been persecuting for years, calling her a Jesus freak, and I was just terrible to her. And I walked in the house and said, Mom, I need you to teach me how to pray a rosary. And wow, I can't even tell you. She took out all these books and all these pamphlets, and she gave me a rosary, and she showed me. And I prayed 10 rosaries with her throughout that week, or those actually those three days. And then she said, well, you're coming to church with me on Sunday. And she didn't drive, so I had to drive. So I came and got her, and she took me to Assumption Grotto. That was how I ended up going back to church. Did you feel that there was something missing? What was your life like in that time spent away from Jesus? So the time before I came, so Mm -hmm. my conversion was double. At first, you know, I had this experience um, when my children were very small. And then I left in 2016 after my dad died. Just My husband had stroked. My mom was sick. My dad was gone. I was overwhelmed with work. And honestly, I was bitter. I was mad at God because... When my husband had, he had several strokes. He's completely disabled. Mm. It's like I, I lost my life too at that time. I was so selfish and so bitter. I didn't even look at it as I had an opportunity to care for someone or you know, all the graces that could come. None of those things were in my mind. It was that I have to get up and I have to do this job every day and I have to come home and take care of him and I don't have any time to think. And it, I just got, I got angry at God and that's why I, mm. I left. I, I left the faith at that time, and I went right back to the horrible things I was doing before, except I got deeper into it. How how did that happen? I would go to bed at night, and every night I would fall asleep. And while I was sleeping, I would not be sleeping, but sleeping. And this entity would come to me, and he had said he was an angel, and he taught me things while I was sleeping. This is how I actually got so involved in the occult. I was open to this at that time, and everything he said, I learned. And this happened for at least a year, that every night he would teach me something. And because everything kind of rode the line as to good and bad, you don't realize how much deeper you're getting and deeper you're getting and deeper you're getting until you're really in deep. You know, it's, it can start so easy. You can read a horoscope or you can listen to a frequency on YouTube but if you're not careful, you can you can get deeper than you than you really think you are. Valerie, what would you say to somebody who's listening right now, and um, you know, for somebody who who maybe hasn't had who we pray hasn't had that experience before, they might hear that and think that it's sort of unbelievable. What would you say to them? Oh, it's really believable. We. If we have a good God who loves us, and it stands to reason that we have a, a devil who wants to take us away from him. Back then, I'll never forget it. As I was falling into this, I had this thing coming to me at night. But I had a family member say to me, you know that Jesus isn't God. He's just another man, a prophet. And I was so lost at that time. I remember crying for days. Jesus isn't God. She says, you have to do it yourself. You have the ability to do this yourself. And I'm, I remember the greatest sorrow. And I listened to her. And that's, Jesus is God. And I would tell people, 
This is a real battle for your soul. It, it is a true battle. And as I went on, you know, I, moving towards coming back to God, I started to see little things that I was being taught that were not quite right. And so I started to ask that I would learn the truth. And I would ask this over and over, you know, God, if you're real, I need to know the truth. And then, so I was still working mental health at that point, and COVID had just started. I had lost my brother um, from a aneurysm during COVID. They didn't even, there was not a lot of time for them to take care of other people aside from the massive onslaught of, of COVID patients. And so um, my mother fell, she broke her hip, and she had dementia really bad. So I, I quit my job at that point to take care of her. And when I quit my job, I would take care of her every morning. I'd go over, um, every night I would go at 7.30, and then I would stay till 10 in the morning, and then I'd go home and take care of my husband. And then somewhere in there, I started just going back to the church I used to go to, Assumption Grotto, and just sitting in the parking lot. I would just sit there because it was locked. I mean, COVID was raging. And I would sit there by the cemetery, and I, I would just sit there. And one day, the priest walked out, who I had known, and he kind of tapped on the window, and he actually said, where have you been? And I remember thinking to myself, a hundred different things I could say, and me being me, I said, funny story, and then I just left it because I wasn't really going to, I wasn't willing to tell him where I'd been. How beautiful. Every time you always went home, mm -hmm. you always went back home. I can only say, if people don't know that Jesus loves you, that he really does love you. I mean... I was a really bad person, and he still loved me. You're a very good person who did some bad things. And Jesus didn't stop pursuing you. No, he I, did not. And he, I just, I love that about your story that you talk about these different moments where you returned to him, and he was there. He was, he was ready. Always there. So that particular priest. He was patient and kind, mm. and it turned into months. I mean, first he had to invite me into the church again. Then after I actually went into the church, it was from 2020 to 2021 before he actually got me to make a confession and to come back into the church. And he helped me. And I, on Holy Thursday, 2021, <laughs> I came back. I had a lot of animosity and fear of men. You don't realize how much of a trauma there is because you stuff it all down. And then for me, I took control using, you know, occult practices so that I could always be in control, which was a lie. You're really never in control, no matter what you think. But I had to come to terms with with this trauma. And so I I was invited by this priest to adoration. They do adoration every morning after Mass. And I would go in there and I would sit. And at first it just started looking at Jesus because... You know, they, he had told me he was there, and I believed it. I kept coming back. And so every day I would come, and then I'd walk out, and he'd say, well, what do you think? And I'd say, well, I think I'll just come back tomorrow. And I did that every day until I started to talk to Jesus. Because Jesus in the Eucharist, it's the greatest gift we've ever gotten. But he's really there. And I started telling him everything. 
I and I would I would say each day I would go and I would tell him some horror that I had experienced that was just overwhelming and I would ask him to heal it and then I would leave feeling better and then every day it would be that way he makes himself known to me in a way that it's just the most beautiful thing you can ever imagine when when the priest holds up he says the words of consecration and when he holds Jesus up it's like an explosion of love and it's and it it's beautiful it's so beautiful you can't even imagine the beauty of it and it's it's consoling and it's 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 just love i something i had never i mean never experienced like that i've never experienced a love like i feel when the priest holds up jesus mm. and when he holds up the precious blood it's it's not something i can even describe but he makes himself known to me. And it's the greatest, most beautiful thing in the whole world, how much he makes you know he loves you. And every day to this day, since I've come back, that I can, I go to adoration and sit with him and, and we talk like that. And I go to Mass every day and receive him and we talk. And he stays with me. And he just stays in my heart. And there's, there's nothing in the world that compares to this. I think what's so beautiful about what you said, especially when when the priest holds up the the body and blood of Christ, I think what's what's happening there is that's you're gazing upon the sacrifice of Christ and his love. And but in that moment you're not just a spectator. You're also a participant in it. So that every Every part of the sacrifice that you offer, you know, every part of your life, um, the, the difficulties, you know, um, uh, those things that might be burdensome, those things that you struggle with, that's that's the Lord allowing you to know that He's right there with you, and that's that explosion of love to, to for you to know that uh, I'm here. Here I am. He is truly there. So you've shared a, a, about these two kind of moments of conversion that you've had and that some pretty big changes took place following those those moments. Um, what were some of the practical next steps you took after returning to Jesus and encountering that love? First time, the practical steps was to extricate myself from my previous lifestyle, which is not something I could do on my own. Um, there was a, a beautiful priest here from the Canons Regular of the Holy Cross at that time, and he really did help me. I went back into the catechism classes that Assumption Grotto taught back then, and then he worked with me to help me get myself free of that life. So, and then I, the first time I actually, um, and it was it was funny because I was at I was at church one day and they have a, a social afterwards with you know coffee and donuts and everything and. Uh, someone had come up to me and said, you should homeschool your kids here. And I'm like, homeschool my kids? <laughs> I thought he was nuts. <laughs> he said, okay, think about it. I says, my husband would never let me quit my job. He says, here. And he hands me this, this pamphlet, and it said, the holy cloak. I'm like, well, what is this? He says, this is a novena to St. Joseph. And if, if you're supposed to homeschool your kids, when you finish this, you'll be able to quit your job and homeschool. And I went, 
Okay. So I didn't didn't really know. I mean, I was brand new. That was, you know, 1995 by then, I think it was. And so I prayed this novena. And on the very last day, my husband went with me to quit that job. And so I, I enrolled them in a in a course, a homeschool course, Seton I used back then. And we homeschooled our kids. It, but everything that we did back then was to try to make sure that the children had a good foundation, not like what I had. I lived the faith. I had to get my marriage blessed. I had to you know, get rid of that job. I had to do all of these things so that I could make a good example for my children. So I, I highly recommend, I mean, not everybody can go to daily mass. I did daily mass back then. Otherwise, I don't think I could have made it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I recommend daily mass, saying your rosary. I can't even live without my rosary. So, but I, I, even though I had come back at that time, my heart wasn't quite there yet. I can't explain it. You think it is. You're going through the motions, but I wasn't. I wasn't all the way there. And so when I came back the second time, I was addicted to drugs. I had been through a lot of 12-step programs, but I never got past step three, which is to release, to relinquish everything to your higher power. Never was able to do that. So when I was trying to come back, and this this wonderful priest who had helped me um, in 2020, he said, I'm, why don't you pray this novena, a surrender novena. It's a surrender prayer to Jesus. Pray it with me. So I went, okay, I'll pray it. I literally was able to to give everything to Jesus. I was able to surrender to Jesus through Mary. I'd never been able to to get past step three, and that had been a lot of years. I recommend going through the consecration to Mary, to Jesus through Mary. Valerie, you spoke of just the need in your own heart to return home, to return to the church, which brought you to the parking lot, which brought a priest to you someone who just knocked on the window. So often when we are going through moments of trauma or we're sort of living in the effects of the trauma, um, community is so important to us. Jesus desires to heal us always, and we can credit the Holy Spirit for for bringing you home, bringing you to that parking lot, bringing you to that church on Holy Thursday. Um, and he also puts people into our lives to help us work through that um, that healing that we need. Can you speak a bit about just the importance of that community, whether it's was the priest or other family members or friends who helped you through your healing? So this priest was instrumental. The people that I used to know when I was there, everybody reached out, everybody wanted to help me. And in the meantime, God sent me a therapist, actually a psychologist, who was willing to work with my Catholic faith in implementation of things that way um, so that I could be able to heal this trauma as, as a Catholic. Most times, well, not most times, quite a few times you'll see that, that modern psychology does not walk hand in hand with Catholicism. She happens to be Jewish. And she works very hard to make sure that she assists me in healing and moving forward in my Catholic faith. So aside from that, um, I did have to get help from the church. And this priest assisted help getting me the help um, so that I could free myself completely from the occult life that I was in. And um, there's a, a lot of things to work through 
when you've done some things like that. And so the trauma opens the door. The demons walk on through. And if you embrace them, then they stay as long as they're allowed to stay. So we, we had to help. I had to have help getting rid of them. Mm-hmm. And there's this great um, just unity in in what we're given through the sacraments, the, the grace that's given to us through the sacraments. So obviously the sacrament of reconciliation and the Holy Eucharist, but then also that um, getting the professional help as well. The, the Lord has given people those gifts and abilities to walk with people like you and me through those parts of our lives where we just need to shine the light on. Um, and so it, it's it takes courage. It takes courage not only to go to the church, but also to go to another person um, for that help. And it, it's so beautiful, the ways in which Jesus uh, heals us by, by his grace, through the sacraments, through the church, and also in community. So confession is paramount. So... It was very difficult in the beginning to go to confession. I had such a distrust of men in general, and I I couldn't get past that. And so, you know, I I had to work really hard to get to confession. And then after I started going to confession and realizing how much better you, you are and how much better you feel when you've gone to confession, I became a frequent confessor, like weekly confession to get through it. As much, and then, and as much as it took is, is is what I would do, and then I would stay for the mass, go to confession, and go to mass, and Jesus would give me the most you know beautiful, beautiful knowledge of of Him, mm-hmm. and if if I were to say that you should do anything, it would be go to confession and go to mass, mm-hmm. go to adoration, over and over and over. And so you've mentioned that you. You, you spend a lot of time in adoration these days and um, seek out that time with Jesus in the Eucharist daily. Um, what does it mean for you to be able to go and sit with him every day? What is that What is that like for you? So that's how I gather my strength to take care of my family. Mm-hmm. So my, my husband, he's sick. He He's uh, hemiplegic. He has aphasia. He, he's got some you know, serious problems from the strokes. And and then I um I do an outreach at my church and I, I go see people. Um I really love to take care of people. So I I go to mass, I'll go home and check on my husband, then I'll go back and like from for about two hours I'll stay with Jesus and I'll tell him everything and I'll you know do my rosary with him and and just sit with him. And then when I leave, I take him with me in my heart. And I bring them to everybody because everybody should know how wonderful it is when you sit with Jesus. Do you ever get distracted in adoration? So, so two hours, people listening would be uh, very, uh, I, I don't know, maybe overwhelmed by that. That's yeah. so beautiful, though. Um, so for, for many of us, like 10 or 15 minutes could be a struggle to sit before the Lord, with the Lord in adoration. Um how do you what happens or or how do you how do you uh, overcome that maybe temptation to to be distracted in that time? So sometimes people will walk in and and I get distracted and I, I look. But for the most part, I get in and and we have a dialogue. You know, I'll tell them everything. and then I'll sit 
and you know just sometimes when I say I listen to him I get a feeling sometimes when I'm listening for him it's it's a word that'll pop in my head or an inspiration on someone who needs some help or and it's it's a dialogue and when I'm sitting with him I love him and he loves me and I'm not distracted because he's everything. Does it ever feel like it's routine though? If it's you because you go day after day? No. Not for me. I I just it's so awesome. He's my strength now and he's my hope and he's my love and he completes me and this is a love that I've never known before. Not as a child, not as an adult, not in marriage. No offense to my husband, he's beautiful and wonderful, <laughs> but it's 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 not a love that I've ever known before, mm-hmm. and I don't get tired of him. And I think what we forget, too, sometimes it's just okay just to be and to sit with the one we love. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds funny. He looks at me, and I look at him, and it's okay. It's exactly okay. Such a gift to have this. I mean, even just the desire to be with Jesus, it's such a gift that you have. Um, and then to be satisfied in his presence. That's so beautiful. Um, I'm curious to know if you could go back and have a conversation with younger you, having this deep intimacy with Jesus. What would you say to her? You sound like my therapist. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I would console her yeah. because she was a very hurt, wounded person who thought she was absolutely worthless. And there was no hope. And I had to be in control of everything. I mean, I was a small child trying to control everything. You just you can't do that. So I, I would let her know that she's loved. Because if, you know, you can work your whole life at a job and, and you can you can have all the money in the world and big houses and cars, but it really doesn't mean anything if you're empty and you don't have love. And so the love that Jesus gives is all-encompassing love. It's it's the best. <laughs> I mean, there's there is nothing that I've ever experienced in this world that comes close to to him. So I I don't want to do anything else but be with him and take him to other people and let them see and feel and know how much he loves them. And I think that's so important for all of us in just in our daily prayer, whether or not um, we're able to get each day like you to, to mass or to adoration, just to bring ourselves, be mindful of the presence of the Lord in our lives. And then that call that each of us have on, on a daily basis, like you said, to to bring that love, to bring that same joy, to, to, to bring that same experience of the Lord's just overflowing love into our lives. That's what, that's the mark of a disciple. It's a mark of somebody in relationship. Um, and so uh, just, just thank you so much for, for your witness and for, for your dedication to um, striving to be holy and for encouraging others to do the same. Thank you, Valerie, for sharing your story again with us, a story of healing and, and redemption and so much love, just this eternal love that you've received in Jesus. So thank you so much for letting us into that and being willing to share it with our audience. We're very grateful. Thank you. God bless you.
God bless you, Valerie. Thank you for listening to the I Am Here podcast. You can read and listen to more stories of people encountering Jesus in the Eucharist at IamHere.org. And we also invite you to share your story with us. I Am Here is a campaign by the Archdiocese of Detroit and Hello App in support of the National Eucharistic Revival.